0: I think if anybody saw the Monday episode, they're just seeing this articulate, educated, faith-filled guy. That's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean oh,
1: <laughs> isn't he nice? Huh? Look at
2: this guy.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you you know, you're just you're you're rattling off all the, these names and dates and ideas, and and I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, he just you know was a cradle Catholic and had kind of a a straight shot, you know, and and so it's I think encouraging to see that you can go through so much and still. That all things work for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose so that he can he can lead us on that path. The Beatitudes. All right, Beatitudes Nation. Welcome back to the fun filled Faith filled Friday bonus episode. We are back. Uh, this is the Beatitudes. This is a podcast for Christian men seeking to grow in holiness with God and humor with one another. We take the faith seriously, but not ourselves. My name is Paul Kolker, and I am joined, as always, by my co host Nick Besner. What's going on, everybody? And Jeffrey Scheffelbein.
2: Beatitudes is multinational. Yes, international.
0: Yes, we, yes. we are branching out uh, to the, the great right down under.
1: I heard Mars is getting closer too by the day. So next, your next step is like
0: interplanetary Interplanetary. All right. Yeah. yeah I love it. Well, yeah. we're you, that, that sultry Australian accent you just heard was, uh, none other than Jonathan Doyle, who is back joining Woo-hoo. us for the bonus episode. Go back and watch the previous one. If you missed that, because, uh, it is a crash course in all things, theology and philosophy, yeah. uh, and culture. It was, it was a rich episode, a lot to drink in. Um, You mentioned in the last episode, though, it was really, really interesting. You mentioned uh, you gave a talk at World Youth Day in Sydney in 2008. Yeah. I was at that World Youth Day.
1: And look how you turned out. Were were
0: you at the talk? Uh, Well, I can't remember (laughs) what what exactly, because I was there with a high school school group from my high school. I was in seminary at the time. Yeah. And so I went with them for that. Um, Discerned out later and ended up teaching, though, at that same high school for a little while. But um, we were down there. Do you remember... The Stations of the Cross that they did for the like the big event,
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And the microwaves for the food that they gave out, Ooh. one of them caught fire during yeah. the Stations of the Cross. <laughs> no, seriously, and the smoke from it yeah. looked like it was part of the production value of the Stations because it was behind where the the crucifixion part was taking place. Uh. So the sun was like breaking through. I just didn't know if you Holy,
1: were Holy Spirit doesn't waste anything, right? Right, so exactly, exactly.
0: It. Well, so what was your your talk there, and then and can you speak to us about kind of what you've been doing down in in Australia?
1: Yeah, so that back back then we were really focused on the sort of high school age group. We were really taking that kind of theology, the body content, and and delivering it. I think back then at a really really good level, and just I think you know young people. Still, are attracted by what is true, good, and beautiful if it's presented in the right way. So we kind of, we're pretty blessed back then. Karen and I used to do a lot of stuff together, and I, you know, I would do separate stuff for working with the girls. Uh, so I, Karen, would do the stuff for the girls. I work with the young men, and it was a great privilege, a lot of great memories, uh, over you know quite a few years. So yeah, That's, it was awesome. We were, we were blessed to be able to do it, and uh, you know, I think we're twenty years in now. Wow!
0: And so then that piece that you said you would focus on on working with the young men that yeah. has since blossomed into a a whole, uh, spirituality of, of masculinity.
1: I've had the pleasure, I guess, of speaking at, you know, a huge number of men's events, uh, here and back home. And, uh, where do we start? You know, uh, what is it that Henry David Thoreau famously said, you know, the great mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And Mm. so we do it loudly on this podcast. We do it loudly. We we cry out in desperation. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think many years ago I read John Milton's Paradise Lost. You know, it's about a bazillion pages, and there's this beautiful image at the start of Paradise Lost where Adam kind of first appears, and written in the way that only Milton could do, and it's this incredible vision of of the masculine archetype and what's possible. So, I think the question for for many men is, you know, approximately how much of your life do you want to spend not being fully who you were created to be? And there's a big life out there. There's a mm. lot of uh, You know, there's a lot of healing on that journey, but, uh, you know, I think there's just God has so much in store for everybody, and I guess it's been a privilege to kind of help me and identify some of those blockages and barriers and and put things in place to try and uh, become who they were created to be.
2: Tell us about more of your upbringing then. Were you cradle Catholic? How did the faith become kind of rooted in you? Where does this kind of intersection start to happen as you are being formed and matured as a young man now that you're also going back and helping other young yeah. men or have had that off and on throughout your career?
1: Yeah, so with a background like mine, you kind of do one or two things. You kind of stick a needle in your arm or you decide to get even. And I th- I had a particularly traumatic uh, childhood, uh, sexual abuse, a lot of family, just trauma and dysfunction. So at a pretty young age, I was you know sleeping in parks and ended up in the Salvation Army refuge at around 15. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, I was... I was a pretty bright kid and and had a fair bit of drive, but it was a very problematic, difficult uh, journey. My father's been dead a long time, but that was a very difficult, uh, challenging relationship that's taken a lot of work. So, yeah, I think most of my journey has been, I don't know, many years ago I was in Edmonton Mall in Canada and I walked into this shop and there was this picture of... I don't know if you guys remember Marilyn Manson, the Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I don't know if you call him a singer, but, (laughs) and, and there was this poster, it was back in the day when they used to sell posters in these shops, and there was this poster, and it was Marilyn Manson doing something particularly awful, and I was shocked by it. I just happened to be flicking through these posters, and bang, I saw this, and I remember walking outside, sitting down, and I had this, you know, I would say God's spoken to me very few times clearly, like this in my life, but I remember sitting there having this strong sense of God saying... Very clearly, this is this is a battle, and you need to decide which side you're on. It was very clear, and uh, and I was sort of edging into a bit of a faith revival at that point, and so I think, you know, that scripture what what was intended for evil, God has turned for good. So, a lot of the trauma, and so f- you know, I struggled for many years with panic disorder, PTSD. And, you know, seasons of depression, it's been amazing healing, like just uh, over the last X number of years where, you know, so much healing has just happened. So I I like to sort of suggest to people that no matter where you are, you know, that's not where you you have to stay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's a lot.
0: What an encouragement. I mean, because I think if anybody saw the Monday episode, they're just seeing this articulate, educated, faith-filled guy. That's Nick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean oh <laughs> isn't he nice huh Look at this guy. yeah but i mean you know you're just you're you're rattling off all the, these names and dates and ideas and and i think a lot of people would say oh well he just you know was a cradle catholic and had kind of a a straight shot you know and and so it's i think encouraging to see that you can go through so much and still that all things work for good for those who love god who are called according to his purpose so that he can He can lead us on that path.
1: Yeah, there was one experience I had talking to this uh, Catholic psychologist. And and my my views on therapy have actually changed a lot. But I remember this guy saying to me this idea that generations come down in family lines. And he said often in a generation there will be, um, he called it a hero. I don't mean to say that about myself specifically, but he said a, a family system will come down in dysfunction. For many, many years, generations, and then somebody will take it in a new direction. And he said that person's usually the person that's been damaged mo- most by the system. So I look at my own father, and his father, you know, died in front of him when he was only, I think, sixteen. And he was sent to boarding school and kind of brutalized there. And you know, my father spent his entire life just never overcoming depression and 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 a lot of trauma. So, so I just decided that I didn't want to perpetuate that. And you know, I don't want to send all Pelagians. So. Really, it's been a huge amount of grace. Karen, my wife's been just absolutely central to that. Like her, her love and her stability has been incredible. And and uh, you know the the biggest probably single moment of healing <laughs> was um, in St. Louis in 2017. And I've been sharing this story more and more on stage. Is that uh, just before I went on stage for this keynote, and I had eight and a half thousand people in the room, and I still at that time could struggle with panic and with anxiety and. Which is great, you know. It's God's sense of humor to make you a professional speaker and <laughs> go and go. Let's give this guy a traumatic PTSD and so he can't breathe on stage. And so uh, I ended up just about to be caught up on stage, and Karen, my wife, said to me, she goes, "Are you nervous?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm not." And she said, "I said, why do you ask?" And she said, "Well, I'm terrified for you." <laughs> And I said, why? And she said, well, what if you go up there and you have a panic attack or you just can't breathe? I said, okay, this is not helping. You're right. <laughs> I, was going, I go, what about the, the Genesis archetype of help, mate? This is not helping. <laughs> and I said, "What?" And I said, it was this really poignant moment. I said, look, if mm. God has brought me this far to put me on that stage for me to lock up and blow up my career in front of all these people, I said, well, you know, it would be strange and weird, but at this point there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So I walked up on that stage and something happened. It was kind of the first time in my life where I really could no longer control the room, my emotions, reality itself. And that'd be my strategy, right? So my whole strategy coming from a trauma background was was one of sort of control, right? And it was the first time the enormity of the moment meant that I just knew I didn't have it. And, mm. it's, and I think what God can do sometimes is put people like me in positions where you're constantly put in situations where your inadequacy becomes pretty obvious. And then, so something happened. I just walked up on the stage and for the first time I felt truly empty and abandoned. And the provision of God was just ridiculous. And what happened in that room was just extraordinary. And so I learned at that moment that that doing the exact opposite of what I've been doing all those years, which was control, I was doing surrender for the first time or having it done to me. (laughs) And what I've learned is that when you move in that, ridiculous thing happens and i said to people in st louis that when you surrender at that level god does not obliterate your personality he elevates it so your natural skill sets just get elevated off the scale and and you just get to bless people and so yeah that's where i'm at is this kind of season of of just settling into this new form of surrender
2: it's rare that men get to hear other men sharing that vulnerability and to talk about weakness and to talk about trauma pain healing what has been the receptivity or the reactions or the feedback that you get with these times that you've been able to share or when you've been on podcasts or whatever and people reach out as a result of, of sharing some of your own story?
1: It's funny. You don't actually hear from a lot of people. I, I just trust. I kind of just trust that the Holy Spirit's doing what he needs to do. Uh, I meet people from time to time, and it's this weird paradox because you, you have to not sometimes want to know. you just got to go, I've got to do the right thing. I've just got to be empty and whatever god does with it god does with it and so i i frequently say that if i never speak again if i never get on stage again i'm good like i really am and so it's just this weird thing jeff where we live in a culture that's quite pelagian right in the sense that you know and i'm teaching on this a lot on neo-pelagianism it's just this this kind of drivenness like that when we're faced with complexity and difficulty and challenge, everybody runs a pattern, right? So there's an idea of what's called emotional homes. People have emotional homes. So really healthy, integrated, happy, optimistic people, when faced with difficulty and pain, will go to their emotional home. People like me spent 20, 30 years going to the emotional home of depression or anxiety. So it's learning to just let get really let go. Like God's either running the show or he's not. Like and, and just. I think everybody runs a strategy. People run strategies. So it can be avoidance strategies. So, what men will tend to do is men will run a strategy. So they'll pick one that works. So, men will tend to triple down on anything that works, right? So, they'll find something that works. It'll be a skill, it'll be uh, an athletic, uh, you know, whatever. They'll, and they'll run that strategy indefinitely. And then eventually, time or age or circumstance will strip you of it to some degree. People run avoidance strategies, right? Drugs and alcohol, pornography, internet, gaming, addiction. They'll find an avoidance strategy. And God doesn't want us to to hide there. He wants us in the game. He wants his kids back on the field. He wants to get his kids home. So if you're awake and you you want to grow, he will gradually position you. You know, C.S. Lewis said that God, he whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our joy, but he screams at us in our pain. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, people watching this, and men particularly are struggling with all forms of addictions and pain, it's learning that there is a invitation there as well. And then just, you know, I'm just here to tell people like you can spend 30 plus years like I did, you know, just, just doubling down on what what you think works or you can give up. And it's incredible surrender because he just elevates. He just gives back.
2: Somebody's ready to give up. They're listening to this right now and give up, meaning surrender to God's will. What and I'm maybe I'm opening this up to everybody, on two feet, this person's listening right now, they're ready for what you just described. They want step one. What what is maybe any step one that you would encourage somebody to just step out and do? Is it to seek a spiritual advisor? Just go sit on get on your knees. Just say, God, I don't even know what to ask for, but just start that prayer. Like where would you direct somebody if if the Holy Spirit's working through this show to connect with somebody who's ready to surrender?
1: I think the first thing is to tell the truth. And if that means you're in a hotel room or in your lounge room, and literally I think you're right, you fall on your knees. You just literally, you got to get to the end of yourself, right? So what, what happens to all the great saints is they get to the end of themselves. So you look at mm. Ignatius, they just get to this point where, and Ignatius is a good example because he was so capable and brilliant. And and they all seem to get to the end of themselves. They just seem to get to this point of this is not working. And if it is kind of working, then what I want to say to people is that you have no idea what God still has in store. He's never finished writing a story. He just never finishes. So if your life's really good at the moment, well, that's great, but it ain't done. Like you cannot (laughs) find a scriptural theological basis to say, well, this is as far as God wanted to bring me and that's it. So, and also I often talk about God's economy, which is human economy, bigger is better than smaller, more is better than less. Whereas sometimes it's just the small things that God values just, you know. So I I would say just, fall on your knees and say, this isn't working. I need you to help me. I need you to rescue me and keep praying that prayer. And then I think the fellowship thing is really crucial. I think in my country, at least it's very difficult for men to have any honest conversations about what's really happening. And I I remember in COVID a couple of times, like we were in a really bad state as a family and as a business and, Trying to talk to a couple of people and just whoo, straight over their heads. So you got to find the right people. You got to find good men that you can actually talk to and trust. And then be honest. Like tell them the truth. Say, look, this is what's happening. And I'm drinking too much, or I'm watching too much, or I'm doing this. I'm to tell the truth. I mean, you know, the the enemy just wants you to, to be to, to you know, be silent and to just bury it and to keep doing exactly what you're doing.
2: Very very powerful. I'm I'm struck by the times that I've had talks with both of these guys. Even just uh, kind of bearing this the struggles. Um, I remember telling Paul just the other night, like I had hit a rock bottom in a, a failed relationship that had a lot of deceitful things going on in it, losing a lot of friends. And when I reflect on that, cause I thought about this after we talked too, that led me to this place of abandonment in love, meaning just love my friends, even if they're going to hurt me mm-hmm. because I'd rather play in that than have to be in this questioning of everybody's intentions. Like yeah. I've heard a lot of people since that moment. I've been hurt by a lot of people and I, almost that that's an irrelevant scorecard because what if I just love my friends and it's been really, really joyful, like kind of to the point of you would think this optimism is, is, you know, fuel injected by something. Mm. But I think that's like the love that's fuel injected. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's good.
0: Well, and then something that comes to mind as you guys are talking is uh, I listened to the Bible in a year podcast and I remember multiple times father Mike Schmitz would say, Uh, we can either let suffering make us better or make us bitter. Mm. And that's something I've tried to hold on to because there are so many things like you were saying with the, somebody betraying you or or a a relationship that you thought was good. And then of course is not. And yeah. And so what do you, what do you do with that? Because ultimately somehow in in God's providence and not that he directly wills those moments, but he wills our freedom obviously. And and then also we're just living a broken world. And so, what do, what do we do with that? Sure. Do we respond with the openness to grace to say, All right, God, where 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 are you in this and where do you want it to take me?
2: Amen. Well, my friend Thank you for being here from the other side of the pond. Yeah, I guess while you're here, you can go do some parish and school work. But um, <laughs> getting on a plane for the beatitudes for an entire day is uh, admirable.
1: Yeah, great to be here. I've really enjoyed it, and, I, and, and it's the finest table I've seen in a while. As I mentioned, it's beautiful. It's good that's to be right, here. That's right. That's
2: right. We're gonna start selling tiny tables. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be our first swag. <laughs> There's a number on your
1: screen. You can donate for a larger (laughs) table, right?
2: (laughs) Or a smaller one if you give enough money. (laughs) We'll take it either way. (laughs) Awesome. Jonathan, uh, how do people get in touch with you if they're listening to the show?
1: Simplest way is just the website, jonathandoyle.co.co. jonathandoyle.co.
2: I'll tell you, brother, we have enjoyed this so much. I've learned a lot about um, not just the anthropology piece of this, but also just how to be a better Australian. So hey, amen. it's been great. I really appreciate it. And I yeah. love what you guys are doing and I just want to see it grow. So
1: uh, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Well, I feel like this episode was going off like a frog, frog in a sock. <laughs> 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 <There it is. laughs>
1: yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this, uh, this Friday or whenever you're watching. And uh, until next time, we will see, see you in the New Eucharist. Christ. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us at our undersized table, subscribe to the video version of the show on YouTube by typing at, that's the symbol at, so shift and 2 on your keyboard, at the underscore Beatitudes on YouTube. We'll see you there. This podcast is part of the Spoke
1: Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.